Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Ben and I are the type of people who go to the biggest trade show in the world, the Consumer Electronics Show, and talk only about automobiles, which is weird because there's all so much Bluetooth-connected things and everything is a step counter, but all we want to know is how we can get to the next city uh, in the in the quickest way. And I like to, for people who ask me what CS is like, uh, who are on the automotive side, I like to tell them, imagine SEMA, and then imagine you're at SEMA and you're in just the wheels section, the wheels and rims pavilion, and then imagine that times five. And that's pretty much what CS is. It's a, it's a whole bunch of very, very, very similar devices and products that are being sold um, with a few uh, standouts and innovative things thrown into the mix. Right. And I mean, not everyone exactly knows what the Consumer Electronics Show is, or CES for short, but uh, the best way to describe it is it's like going to um, the Fry's Electronic or uh, Fry's Electronics or Best Buy of the future and uh, being crowded with a bajillion, with a bajillion people. Um, now, you might be wondering what me and Ben are doing uh, at the show, and I think we had some stories to report because... CES is slowly turning into a car show. In fact, um, I started going about two years ago, and this year was definitely the most car-oriented uh, CES I've ever been to. Now, I, I want to object and say that I don't think it's turning into a car show. I just think that car companies are becoming more involved. Um, and I found that that was a narrative that I really had trouble dealing with during the week we were at CES, because... It, it's it's most definitely not primarily a car show. Um, I, and I'm I'm really surprised that that it's being referred to that way. And I mean, it's not just Sammy who's saying this. It's it's really something that's been popularized in the media. I think it's just because car companies have a lot of money to throw around, and they can make a big splash. So they end up doing that, and a lot of the focus goes to them. What do you think, Sammy? No, I really do think it is. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I do think it's coming becoming a car show mainly because our cars. Our, our future cars are being envisioned as the next big gadget, um, and that no, there's no better way to show it off at, than at CES. Now, at, at, you know, at CES, we did not see a single car technology that I, that I saw, in any case, that actually improved the driving experience in a way that would um, translate to someone who's buying a new car now. Would you, would you disagree with that? Um, well... That's tough. That's really hard to to bring up. And we didn't see very many production ready um, concepts. Uh, I think we at, saw at zero C zero production ready concepts. There was only one thing that was uh, that was shown off that could have some implications for the future, and it's really uh, it's really low level stuff that I don't think anyone would be really interested in. And that's uh, Chrysler's infotainment system, which will be uh, powered by Android. <laughs> and that's something that we'll never notice, we'll never see um, if they do it right. And all it means is that it'll be hopefully more stable than the current Uconnect system. <laughs> well, I actually like Uconnect quite a bit, but uh, that is a, that is about the point. That is one thing that, but <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't improve the driving situation. No, not at no, all. No, it's, it's infotainment. So here's 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 my my take on on CS. This, this was my second year there, and um, I've gotten really really sick of discussing autonomous driving and I, you, you know we've had a theme on previous shows where i've expressed my various <laughs> displeasures with autonomous driving but no no way <laughs> but being at ces 
This year in particular was like attending a massive PowerPoint presentation for a future <laughs> that's probably not going to happen. Or at the very least, isn't going to happen anytime soon. So most of the technologies that I saw, whether it was from BMW, uh, Fiat Chrysler, which I attended as a guest of, uh, I had uh, in intricate access to their new portal concept, um, uh, whether it's Faraday Futures, um, none of these technologies that were shown had anything to do with people driving. It was all autonomous related. Um, and I thought that it was a very disingenuous look at the future because we're extremely far away from any type of autonomous driving becoming a reality. Uh, BMW in particular, they said that by, I believe, 2020, um, they were going to have a fleet of, or at least um, autonomous technologies available within all of their passenger cars or a large part of their lineup where you would be able to push a button and essentially have the computer take over for certain types of driving. Now, this is an interesting thing to, to bring up because autonomous features does not exactly mean, it doesn't mean the same thing to every automaker. And I don't think that 100% means that you can just step into a car and it deal with the whole driving experience. I think autonomous features are other are automated um, functions uh, of the driving experience. And you know what? A lot of our cars today have some form of, form of automated systems, be it adaptive cruise control or even torque vectoring systems that kind of adjust the way a car goes through a turn so that you're still tracking in the right direction that you're hoping to do. It's kind of helping you out uh, when it comes to the, to the active driving. Well, that's that's true. I mean, I wouldn't lump torque vectoring in there, but I, I understand what you're saying. And in fact, it's interesting that you, you bring that up. This is another point that I wanted to make separately. Um, the <laughs> fact well, the fact that there's no clear definition for what an autonomous system is versus what a driving aid is has become a problem from a safety perspective. In fact, I believe Consumer Reports is on the verge of uh, dropping recommendations for companies that are offering these types of technologies without clearly explaining what they do right. because people are starting to use them in ways they weren't intended to be used thinking that they'll take care of whatever driving situation might come up and then you end up with people getting into accidents because they don't understand the technologies and that's not the fault of the driver that's the fault of whoever designed the interface whoever designed the feature and the salesman at the dealership who honestly doesn't care how it works he just wants to upsell you on the feature and get you in the car and out the door that's you know whether the business model of the dealership is contributing to this type of uh, safety situation because no one goes to a dealership to get educated. There are good salesmen, there are bad salesmen, or I should say salespeople. Uh, but it, it, regardless, it's really difficult to come across someone who fully understands how these systems work. And yet people are buying these cars and driving them home immediately and with, with only the briefest of explanations as to what they just purchased. Um, that's a great point. And I want to... Um... I want to talk about some of the things we saw before we we turn off our listeners about uh, how how horrible the future is because I'm sure some <laughs> people are are listening and are interested in the autonomous uh, the self driving the true self driving cars and those features that will get us there in the meantime. Um, but I want to ask you for all of the cars that you've picked up uh, and tested over the over the years, this uh, adaptive cruise control has become a, a common feature. And some of them come with the ability to come to a complete stop and even um, turn on, re-enable uh, after the car in front of them have uh, de has departed. And some of them don't do that. Now, do you know before you turn on these functions which cars can do that and how often, how far away they do that, or do you just fire it up and say, let's see what, uh, let's see how it. How it handles the no, uh, I the I don't know I don't know and and you know I'm I'm a quote unquote expert. 
And so I do the same thing. I, I will turn on the adaptive cruise control. I will see it um, start to decelerate, decelerate until about, um, what, 30 kilometers an hour. And then I get uh, a little antsy and I'm like, okay, is it going to come to a complete stop? Because I think most cars come to about 30 kilometers an hour. I think that's the, the threshold there. Um, and then you before. get a little warning that tells you, boop, boop, it's deactivating uh, cruise control, or you get frantic last-minute braking, which is what yeah. these systems are really good at. Like, it's it's not so much that you're not going to stop, but it's it's the, the system doesn't stop the way a human would stop, which is more gradually. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's more confident in its abilities, <laughs> and it just slams <laughs> those brakes on. The other thing, you know, it's funny you mentioned will it stop. The other thing is too, these systems that uh, can start start and stop often require human intervention, so it'll stop the car. And then if the car in front of you moves within a certain window of time, let's say five seconds, it will mm-hmm. automatically follow it. But if it's longer than that, you actually have to tap the gas pedal. Where does, now, it, where does it say to do that? It says to do that nowhere. It is, there's no – you just have to know. You know. And if you tap yes, it, it'll I go. I do know that. I know, I know exactly of this. Or you have to press the one of the buttons of the on the cruise control. I think uh, it's the, the resume button. See, I haven't even come across that yet. That's, that's too far outside my own experience. But, you know – <laughs> my big my big uh, argument against all this technology is none of that works when it's snowing. Um, I had a very very arduous drive back from Detroit on uh, the this week uh, for the Detroit Auto Show, which is something we'll discuss on a future podcast. But I was driving a Yukon Denali, which does not make any claims to be autonomous in any way. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm slagging the system that was being used. But it did have uh, an, a a uh, adaptive cruise control system that works quite well until about an hour into the drive of the 12-hour drive where the front of the grill was covered in slush, um, whereupon it no longer worked and neither did the blind spot monitoring or any of those other features. And I, I went outside, I cleaned the slush off, and I got another 45 minutes before it went away again. And the problem with this is, and this is a Yukon-specific problem, I could not find any way to activate just standard cruise control after that. Some cars will give you the option to turn adaptive on and off and uh, allow you to just keep speed regardless of what traffic is around you. The Yukon didn't have that issue. So I essentially lost cruise control, period, uh, adaptive or not. So... Um, tying back into CES, CES takes place in Las Vegas where there's no snow mm-hmm. and uh, there's there's just beautiful weather all the time or at the very least sunny precipitation-free weather. And I suspect a lot of um, car companies are test – and Silicon Valley uh, is a great example of another area where companies are developing a technology in a completely winterless environment. And then that technology is exported to other parts of the country and it fails. And yeah, I can definitely see that uh, happening, especially when it comes to like uh, features like lane keep or lane, um, you know, being able to lane assist or lane keep assist, where you're, it's it's mandatory to be able to see the lanes on the on the road. Yeah, and these cameras or sensors cannot do that in the snow. It's not. No. it's just like it's not possible, right? Those lines have to be visible, and it's interesting you bring that up too. Uh, that Volvo S90 that I had a couple weeks ago, I drove it down to Vermont. And uh, there was a snowstorm during the drive, which completely deactivated something called Pilot Assist, which is a a follow-along style of cruise control that Volvo has touted. Um, And it could not keep accurate track of where the lane began and ended, which I found interesting because I was in a situation where the center lane, the line on the center lane was visible, and the line on the right was not. Even But on the right side of the road, there was a clear delineation of where the asphalt ended and the snow began. So you still had a reflective white surface, but the the Volvo's pilot assist was turning itself on and off every few seconds because it could not keep up with what was happening around the car. And there's no warning either as to when it's on and off. There's a light on the dash, a little it looks like a little steering wheel light. 
And that either turns on or changes color, uh, but there's no audio thing. There's no, it does nothing that grabs your attention. So if you set it and it's initially green and then it turns off and kicks off, you might not notice. Mm Mm-hmm. That there's all sorts of you know what this is a <laughs> I really want to talk about CES but now we're talking about some of the weird the weird parts of like these these driving features these automated driving features or driving aids. Um, sometimes you see a car that will like uh, the function is orange rather than green and then it'll turn green when things are like perfect and then it'll go back to orange and be like oh you don't have steering assist now and it's just like I don't know what's going on and why what what's changing between those those two modes and sometimes it's just not capable of doing that. It can, especially when it comes to lane keep, for example, right. Or, or the car in front of you being able to see that car in front of you, even though it hasn't changed in terms of distance. No, it's it, it, interesting. It is. It is. It's, it's, it's like, where's the standard? You know, yeah. how are we, how are we actually communicating to people? Like, people, if you look at transmissions, there's the PRNDL, right? Like that's all, all mm-hmm. transmissions do that. And then when transmissions start to step away from that, which we've seen in recent years, uh, we've had all sorts of problems with cars rolling away, uh, people not knowing if their vehicles in park or not, because they, you're conditioned, you're trained to use a system in a certain way. And uh, for autonomous systems, we've never had any of that training. And, right. and we're just assuming and, that people can can use these systems right out of the box. And you and I, we drive 100 cars a year, and we still have trouble with these systems. Yeah, I mean, and there's it, no there's no standards. No, there's nothing I've been in before where I can just flick a switch and expect it to to work without my intervention. Is there? No, there's nothing. And you know, while we're well, we can segue back to CES here because this is a perfect opening. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention was when I was in CES, I went with Chrysler and Chrysler was showing off something called the, the portal concept, which was basically a minivan aimed at millennials. Um, (laughs) yeah, I loved it because it was aimed at millennials and I myself am a millennial and, uh, I'm just always looking for things that are just made for my generation. So what, what Chrysler means when they say (laughs) made for millennials and for people like Sammy is that it's essentially... A, 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 a yet another environment wherein you can share media um, with other people in the car. There's a, The car has a media server that you can upload a communal playlist or videos to. It had something called directed audio, which uh, which sounds like a nightmare to me, um, <laughs> where instead of wearing headphones, there were speakers at each seating position, which was interesting considering the seats can move f- forward and rear. Uh, anyway... Um, so that you could you could listen to what you wanted to listen to without distracting anyone else. It had an intercom. It had um, advanced uh, internet connectivity. It had actual physical docking stations for uh, various devices. Now I I was inside the vehicle and I got to I participated in a demonstration where we got to see all of these features in action. Oh, it also has something called biometric face recognition, which means when you walk towards the vehicle, you don't need an ignition, an ignition key. It just sees your face, and then it loads in all of your parameters and lets you into the car. And it'll do this for each person who has a profile inside the vehicle. Um, so <laughs> they demonstrated... Talk, to me. Talk so, to me about this demonstration. First of all, were you able to keep up... Um, are you not? I mean, if the what is the what is the most broad term of a millennial? Are you a millennial? Do you consider yourself a millennial? I don't consider myself a part oh. of any generation because okay. I feel they're artificial constructs. But <laughs> well, they are. They're, 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 All right, they're marketing but te- terms. But tech, not marketing <laughs> terms. But even if you if you look at people who study, you know, sociologists, there's no 
universally uh, accepted definition of each generation. It's 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 a gray gray area at best. So yes, to some marketers I am millennial, and to some marketers I'm Generation X. It's problematic. So um, were you able to take in and and completely immerse yourself in the portal concept, even if you weren't, you don't consider yourself a member of that millennial that millennial generation? Well, <laughs> let, let, let's break it down. Let, let's let's talk about these various features. Uh, one of the questions I had for Chrysler was was any of these these uh, sharing technologies or connectivity or uh, entertainment in in car entertainment features designed in conjunction with NHTSA and how NHTSA is uh, going to be constructing future distracted driving guidelines. And the answer was no. So um, even though this car is, it, it was it's an electric vehicle that had autonomous features, but it, you know it does have a steering yoke of some kind where people can drive it. It's filled with a whole bunch of stuff that could distract you from the road, and it's filled with that stuff on purpose. And yet, yeah. when they designed the car, there was no um, that was not taken into account. I was told that safety is always a priority at Chrysler, which I believe. But you know. When we're facing a, uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it an epidemic, but certainly an awareness that distracted driving is very dangerous, and you go ahead and create the world's largest flashing strobe neon light, and then position it as a vehicle that future drivers, you know, will find appealing, I think that's problematic. Um, the other technologies, the the directed audio, yeah, I could hear the guy's audio in the back seat, even though it was directed at him, and I was sitting in the right front. So I wasn't surprised by that. I didn't think that technology would work very well, and I don't think we'll ever see that in a production car. But the, the biometric face stuff, sure, it recognized my face when I walked up to the car and it opened the door. But if I was wearing a hat or a scarf or if it was winter, I'm sure it wouldn't do that. I'm sure the camera would be iced over. Um, what happens if you grow a mustache? Well, yeah, <laughs> there you go. You have to update your profile with the vehicle. It, it, I see as a lot of the stuff I saw at CS is just reinventing things that don't <laughs> need to be reinvented. A key fob works. You want to access the car? Have the key fob in your pocket. That works pretty well. Um, why do we need facial recognition? Yeah, uh, I I don't know. I don't understand how why a key fob would be, or, or even a smart. Some other cars showed a smartphone operated, um, you know, entry and exit system. And uh, I think a key fob works plenty fine. Um, I have pockets. I put my items in my pocket, including my keys, and uh, it works wonderful for me. Uh, I don't know what I would do with all the free space if I didn't have to put my key fob in there. But hey, maybe that's a that's a so that's a problem for future Sammy. Well, no, let me let me tell you, Sammy, what you could do with that free space. There is a, a new internet startup that allows you to rent out that free space in your pockets <laughs> to other people. On an hourly basis. That's true. I should hold. I, it's basically like a, a mobile storage system. Where it's I like Airbnb for. It's Airbnb for pockets. I like that. That's a, that's a good idea. Uh, where, where, where can I invest in this company? You could you could write me a check directly. That's the okay. easiest way. And I will make sure it gets to the right people. All right. Let's get out of the crazy stuff in the portal and talk about some of the, the things that are less crazy uh, about it, like the uh, like the electric drive train. What do you uh, think see, of that idea? Now you see, I would like to talk more about that. Because uh, that was another question I had for Chrysler because I was very interested in finding out whether the electric system that was inside the portal is something that we might see in another product from Chrysler in the future. Um, or if it was related to what we have in the Pacifica now, the the, the uh, Pacifica Hybrid. But um, I didn't get any answers. Uh, I was told that it's more of a stepping stone to a future product than anything that we would see in production form. We didn't even really get horsepower ratings for it. We got a, a range for it. We got, a, we got a battery size and a range. Which yeah, is, and that was it. Which, first of all, that's 
that's weird. Um, it's a stepping stone. It sounds like it's almost like they've got something in mind. Um, a 100 kilowatt hour battery is a massive battery. That's what we're seeing inside uh, pretty much the biggest production electric vehicles on the road right now. Uh, like the Tesla Model S and the, and the Model X. Both are available with 100 uh, kilowatt hour batteries. Um, and these ones, though, this in this car, it uh, it goes 250 miles on a single charge, which isn't too bad. And um, it uses a DC fast charging system, which is a standard, an SAE standard, to charge the car in about 20 minutes um, to more than halfway of that of that capacity. So it sounds like they've got some ideas that are pretty strong, but uh, they're not they're not finishing all of they're not filling in all of the details. No, and, um, most of the focus was on was on the the shiny, flashy uh, infotainment bits. And you know, I talked to the designers, and they were they were interesting people to talk to. It's it's not like they're they're unaware of these problems and. They're, they don't live in a, in a vacuum or a bubble. I think they were given a very specific design brief, and they were able to get attention at CES um, for this product, and um, they, they, did, they did their job. Uh, I just think that you know it's, it, it doesn't really enhance any of the uh, – it's almost like – the part of the design brief said, okay, and and this this applies to many many car companies. It's almost like car companies are afraid that everyone's going to stop driving really soon, and we better start making something other than cars because we're going to have to sell something when that happens. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're all preparing for the post car apocalypse, and uh, this these are all various salvos in in terms of trying to get people's attention. Okay, before we go on to the next vehicle we saw at CES, I'd like to bring up something that I did find interesting and potentially um, useful in the future. And that's the the fact that this car could be upgraded, not just in terms of software, but in terms of hardware, as greater levels of autonomy are, are like advanced. As soon as like more standards are put into place, you can pop out a panel or a, or a function and put in these um, sort of better radars or LIDAR or sonar or cameras. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting feature. I don't, I don't know if that can actually happen. Who knows what the price of these components could, could come down to? But I think that's an interesting thing um, that could solve some of the problems, the, the the fear of missing out sort of thing that happens when a new car comes out, and um, and we just want that feature instead of a whole new vehicle. It's it's definitely important, and um, you, you're right. It is a positive aspect of the portal concept because it, the the way of the future for high tech cars is definitely going to be partnering with established tech companies like Samsung, Panasonic, a lot of the a lot of the people who are involved in the development of the portal because they're able to develop technologies um, and then leverage their investment by selling it to 10 customers instead of a car company developing a technology and then having to sell it across one or two models. Uh, that really drives the price down, and it also allows them to to design with modularity in mind. So if if you can have a partner like Samsung that's like, okay, we're going to give you a sensor that's this size, and then uh, in a year from now, we'll be able to pack twice as much functionality into that same form factor, and it'll just pop into where you previously had installed it. I mean, it's really easy for Samsung to do that, and it's really, really hard for Chrysler to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, So it makes sense to farm that out. It makes sense to have those partnerships. Um, I... Uh, I went to a demonstration. I hesitate to call it a demonstration. So I went to a. It was supposed to be a demonstration uh, of an autonomous car, Ooh, and yes, really? it was. Put, it was put together by Microsoft and a few partners, and each of the partners did something different with the car. Uh, there was there were partners who had designed the sensors. There was an insurance company there talking to people about you know how does autonomous car insurance work. Um, but the car didn't work. It broke. What? <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I waited for an hour and they couldn't fix it. There was something to do with the, the Vita X, the, uh, vehicle to infrastructure okay. communication. But, uh, Microsoft's part of the, uh, 
Microsoft's part of the 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 um, autonomous solution worked, and and what Microsoft wants to do is sell you services while you're driving or not driving, I should say. So while I'm, you're, I'm sorry, what kind of what kind of services does well, does Microsoft want to sell me? So um, they're they're very interested in helping you extend your office into your car or to sell you some mm-hmm. type of entertainment because you know instead of driving during your commute now, you're going to be able to be productive. And if you're if you're a productive member of society, then everybody loves you. But if you're just someone who's enjoying their commute and not you know, doing anything in particular, then you're the worst kind of parasite. And this but is then you can watch a movie. You can get a media service. Well, and, then you can uh, buy it. Yeah, you can buy a movie from a Microsoft sourced ecosystem. See, and then everyone's okay with you then. Because basically, you're spending your 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 saved money on on something yes. that you don't need. <laughs> you're the product. It, it's all about it's all about being able to buy and sell the rider now. Um, so be ready for that. Uh, autonomous cars. I mean. You are going to be monetized somehow. That's how it works. We knew, we know that, um, we know that people want to sell uh, cars more or car owners more things. Uh, we saw that with Alexa, and we 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 heard more at the at CES about Alexa integration and uh, Microsoft Cortana integration, so that they can feed you stuff that you don't need. Um, while providing a, somewhat of a service uh, in terms of uh, voice recognition or or more human. Uh, more human voice recognition. Um, so Just wait until you get a pop-up ad on your windshield while you're driving to work in the morning. I definitely see that happening. Or changing your media your media station to one that's playing sport, sponsored content. Yeah, or that's sponsored by the state so that you don't have any uh, thoughts that are, you know, questionable. <laughs> yes. Um, but talk to me about this, this self-driving demonstration that you – well, almost demonstration you got um, – a vehicle to infrastructure or V2X is a very important part of um, self-driving vehicles and smart um, devices, I guess is the best word, smart connected devices. And I I see that being an, an issue moving forward. If that goes down or if there's any issues, if there's maintenance, if there's poor bandwidth, um, that can be a safety hazard, right? Oh, for sure. Um, and, you know, the engineer that I sp- – so even though the car wasn't working, I was able to speak to the engineers who had uh, been, um, I guess, working on the, the the system. They had designed it. And I'm just going to try and pull up the name of the individual who um, I, I spoke to. But his point was I, – I, I mentioned to him. He, he was from Europe, so he, he's, he was familiar with the fact that, you know, weather is not always perfect. And I was like, look – um, snow is often messing up sensors. It's creating situations where the car cannot see the road ahead, cannot see the lines on the road, can't even see other cars. Mm-hmm. And w- what happens in those situations for you? Like, do you see, foresee a future where we'll technologically magic our way out of this by developing a sensor that doesn't get blocked? Or do you see the, the solution as being something else? Okay. And he, he worked for a company called IAV, which is okay. a Dutch company, I, IAV Automotive Engineering. His name was Karsten Schultz. And um, he said that in his in his mind, there will never be a sensor you can't block. There's always going to be it could be he thinks it's a very small number of scenarios, but in the future there will always be the ability to blind a sensor, which means that stuff like V to X is very very important in an urban setting mm-hmm. because you can fill in the gaps that the sensor right. can't see by having other sensors, other technologies speaking to the car. And if you're outside of a city setting. 
you're going to have something hyper accurate maps is another issue. Um, the, the GPS just isn't very good at positioning you. It, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a best guess kind of thing as to where you actually are on a map. But and I'm sure and I'm sure some of our listeners have seen on their smartphones or even on navigation systems where your your place kind of like moves across a different road because it it got the the guess wrong and kind of like oh no you're over here and you kind of see your your current position just like move over a block or something. Exactly. <laughs> That's always the funnest thing. But there but, there yeah. are. There are companies that are working to fix this by creating very, very accurate maps. Um, it's a time-consuming thing to do, but uh, being able to position the car on, a, on that type of map would also help fill in the gaps. But even with those things in place, he said that there are still going to be a small number of cases where the safest thing for the vehicle to do is pull over to the side of the road and stop driving and find another way to get you to your destination, whether that involves being towed, whether that involves you driving. Um, there will never be a way out of that, according to him. And I thought that was very interesting because when I speak to engineers about autonomous cars, I get those kinds of answers. I also, last year, I spent time at CES with Kia and their uh, autonomous car um which is very impressive. It's an autonomous Kia Soul. But at the same time, the engineers did not have an answer as to how to deal with winter conditions. And um, they're very honest and open about it. When I talk to car company PR, when I talk to um, uh, marketing, it's a completely different story. If you look at all the materials that are being fed, not just to journalists, but to you know the general public, it's that this is uh, autonomous cars are coming. They're coming soon, and it's an unstoppable tide, and it's going to be safer, and everyone will be happy. There's no actual – everyone's cheerleading. There's no actual journalism being done or very little. There's not a lot of questioning. If you question this type of technology, you're viewed as being anti-future or anti-technology or a stick in the mud who just wants to shift your own gears or just ride a horse everywhere. Um, it's a hostile environment if you're trying to get a, to the objective truth of autonomous driving. Um, I, and I, you know what though, I love that you got that kind of answer. Usually, you get engineers who um, think they can engineer their way out of anything. Um, but I also, I'm also very interested in this new vehicle to vehicle. I love the idea of vehicle to vehicle infrastructure or vehicle. Uh, sorry, vehicle to vehicle communication and vehicle to infrastructure communication. I can see that being really important for self-driving cars for safety to be able to create this sort of uh, force field to be able to know where another car is in relation to yours at, at all times. Um, but and, and not just, you know, where, where you're related to other cars, but I mean, if there's a crosswalk and there's people in the crosswalk and the car sensors are occluded, you might be able to rely on a sensor on a light post that can see those people safely. Or you even, know, like, you know, smartphones. I mean, I think smartphones might be able to emit some sort of, uh, you know, locating device, locating uh, beacon, I guess, that says I'm here, uh, because not everyone can, not everyone's paying attention at all times in this sure. very connected world. But then, if the battery on the smartphone is dead, or it's a dog oh, or a deer, that kind of thing, you know, like it's great it's, point. You know, it, it, it all boils down to the fact that we're asking machines to do what humans already do reflexively, which is process huge amounts of information in a very short period of time. If my eyes are closed and I'm driving, I'm extremely dangerous because mm-hmm. I can't tell what's going on. And it's the same for cars. But it's it's um, humans are able to fill in the gaps uh, with you know by guessing what they might see. If you're driving and you see a dark shape in front of you and you can't tell what it is, you'll probably hit the brakes. Mm-hmm. You'll probably be like, you know what, that's something I probably don't want to hit. But to get a computer to make that kind of uh, that kind of guess, and to make it on a consistent basis so that it's not giving you a bunch of false positives is really hard. Um, and <laughs> I'm gonna rant again if you're ready for that, Sammy. Uh, just yeah, okay, go for it. 
<laughs> so uh, I don't know if you did. Did you hear what Nissan brought to? Uh, yeah, brought in to... fact, this is the, this is the what Nissan brought and suggested at CES was what my next segue. This is the thing that I was going to bring up next uh, because right. we were talking about vehicle to vehicle infrastructure and the cloud computing that or the cloud software that's going to be involved in in terms of you know, how an autonomous car will work in the future. It's not just the sensors in the car, it's stuff going on outside the car. So I'm going to give a quick a quick run through as to what they're going to say, unless that's what, what was included in your rant. No, go ahead because the rant is coming. Okay. So Nissan, you know, like every other automaker, suggested that they're going to be bringing a, a autonomous vehicle as well. And they also said that they're going to have a central command center um, that can oversee your vehicle. And when there is a problem... Um, your car will talk to this command center and directions from the command center will be beamed to your car so that um, you're never caught without um, so, that, so that there's maybe a human element on the other side. There's someone who can make a decision for you when you're <laughs> incapable of doing it or when your car is too confused to figure it out itself. So it's not maybe it's that's the entire technology. That it's, is that's what they said, right? It's a call center. It is a call for your car for an AI. When an AI gets confused, it calls a human being and the human being makes a decision. A human being outside your car. Outside your car. This is the most absurd thing I heard at CES. I know. I found you, it. I know you have a tough time with this. I know, and I and I even presented some ideas why why it's not as bad as you make it out to be. But go for it. Let me hear what you, why you think this is insane. Okay. First of all, if we are going to be installing an artificial intelligence or or a self driving system in a car, if that system has to rely on external human inputs, it is by definition not doing its job. That is the first problem. Second. Why does the car have to call a call center, a remote call center, which will then view the situation through the car's own sensors or the city's own sensors, whatever is closer? The example that was given by, by Nissan was if a vehicle approaches an intersection where there's someone directing traffic, say a police officer, because of a crowd, because there's an event or construction or whatever – the vehicle might get confused because it can't cross over the lines because of its programming. It might not know how to interpret the hand signals for the officer. Um, and so it calls the call center. The people at the call center, they figure out the situation. They draw a line that it, it, on the on a, on a pad on the map that allows the car to follow that line to get it through the, uh, the intersection safely. There is all kinds of issues. This with that doesn't scenario. make any sense. The, some it of that doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. The no, only thing first, that I see that the only thing that I see that makes sense is if the people, if first of all, if there's nobody in the car, or if there are people who are not of driving age or or don't have any a driver's license in the car. Um, so you know the well, car is is, go, is ferrying itself to a parking lot or going back home or picking you up from the bar. I don't know. So a completely driverless car is something we haven't. A completely driverless, occupantless car is something that we 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 haven't even really addressed um, in terms of development. That that's not something car companies are talking about. So I'm going to assume that there's a person in that car. I, so okay. if there's a, if the, if there's a person in the car, that person should be the first person to be consulted. Mm -hmm. That's how it should work. But that's problematic too because if that person is intoxicated or if that person is asleep. Um, then what are you going to do? There's traffic building up around you. There is the fact that you have a car that is completely paralyzed by this situation. <laughs> it, the, and, and then it calls a call center, and that person somehow has the ability to figure out what it needs to do. And this all occurs in an amount of time that is reasonable not for that's not possible. To, that's not... to keep traffic moving. And, and, and the, the, the third and final issue with this is it doesn't scale. It is an absurd solution 
to to posit that we will solve the world's AI problems by giving them human oversight on a global scale. That is not possible. There's not a call center. Have you ever called a call center and not been put on hold? Of yeah. course you haven't. So now imagine every car in the world has access to this call center. And is stuck in traffic. And it's is stuck, stuck in traffic. It is with gridlock. A, there's a pothole. There's a pothole that it needs to avoid and the car is freaking out. It's <laughs> gridlock forever. Yeah. So my problem with it, first of all, I can see the, the parallels between this and a and a air traffic control center um i can see that being a, a parallel uh but that the air traffic control localized in some way or another in a, in a city or in a province in a state uh where they can they have a reasonable access or an, an understanding of the traffic flow uh where they can isolate trouble areas and figure that out uh, but air traffic control is it's a much 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 smaller number of moving parts that's true yep absolutely there's fewer airplanes in the sky um than there are in any on any road, um, in a, in a city. Um, but my biggest problem was exactly what you said, the scale. I have, uh, we still have difficulty getting data from our smartphone from, from these, from satellites, right? Uh, it still takes a, a minute or two to download uh, a video. When we try to start, start watching a YouTube video, we're streaming it and it takes some time. Sometimes we have to buffer it. We have to get better quality audio or, or video. And, um, or sometimes it stutters in and out. If they are trying to see what's happening right now in the car or in the car, around the car, in front of the car, what kind of data connection is required for that? And do we have that capability? And what kind of strain does that put on the rest of our um, resources, our, our cell networks? And, and, you know, that data connection, it, it applies to so many other aspects of autonomous driving. What if the connection drops while you're in an isolated area? What if the, <laughs> what connection if the instructions, are, yeah, what if the instructions get corrupted on halfway through execution? But oh, even, no. you know, e even without the Nissan uh, call center into the equation, a data connection is going to be an absolute necessity to drive a car. And data connections aren't reliable from a mobile perspective anywhere in the world. Wow. I mean, even in the middle of a, of a modern city, you can still have a drop phone call you can still have a drop data connection and uh, until we have redundancy at the level where that doesn't happen i mean the future is is still far away i i think that that's the biggest takeaway from ces is the marketing would like us to believe the future is now but in reality the future is decades from now okay so moving from nissan's can like uh, command center idea um which requires a person to to help you through tricky situations let's go into toyota's um belief of the future, which is that um, the car needs to grow and learn with you. So they showed the Concept I, which is a small little car um, that um, that has a very Pokemon element to it. Um, it its headlights blink like eyes. Uh, it talks. It has a, a, a what's it called? Um, an AI, an AI system in it that's called, I believe it's called Yui. Um, that will talk to you, communicate to you, and uh, and grow with you, which is a very interesting uh, concept and idea. And it grows with you by sensing your emotions. Is that right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> now I don't. I'm not always certain what I'm feeling. Um, how does Yui know? Um, Yui can tell based on a number of uh, biometric sensors, as we mentioned earlier in the in the in the 
uh, portal concept. So it can sense your face, but it also has um, your heart rate. It can probably see your temperature. It's probably going to take into consideration the music that you're listening to or uh, do, do the, I destination, have to in- the destination you're going to. So Do I have to insert anything into my body to fully interface with Yui? Uh, as far as I know, no, that's not the case. Okay. But um, it's, a, it's a very interesting... Um, I'm not saying I'm un- I'm unwilling. <laughs> I don't know about your Toyota probe that you wanna you wanna use, but um, one of the weird things is uh, this is supposed to be an artificial intelligence, something that we can we're supposed to trust, we're supposed to be uh, comfortable with. And well, I don't maybe know. Maybe you ben, trust it. I don't. I don't trust it. <laughs> I've seen enough it. Terminator Two to uh, to be concerned about all AI out there. Um, it's it's the, the the one thing I will. So I actually don't have a problem with Yui. <laughs> And I don't have a problem with that concept because you know why? It wasn't autonomous. You can't. It can drive itself, but Toyota went out of its way to specifically discuss that uh, that you know humans can drive and and you know humans can still pilot this vehicle if they want to. Um, and if you look at it, was so bizarre to me at CES to see Toyota leading the way when it came to human-driven <laughs> cars compared to BMW. Which every single announcement at BMW had absolutely nothing to do with driving. They had their they had their fleet of autonomous uh, cars that's coming out for testing purposes, and then their their autonomous driving modes that will be on the street in a few years, like I mentioned. But you know, here's Toyota saying, you know what, the human element's still important, and humans still drive these cars, and so you know, UE's into that too. Uh, BMW's concept didn't even have wheels. But let me just let me just <laughs> let me just go into the Toyota concept. Um, they brought up a lot of really interesting, uh, hu- like uh, psychoanalysis into the into the mind of somebody who's going to be into it, uh, driving a car, and what the what problems that they're facing when it comes to autonomous vehicles is when the car needs help. This is a, I guess, this is considered um, level three or level four uh, autonom- uh, automated driving, which means the car cannot do an end to end trip without some sort of human intervention in the way. Um, so basically they're saying that there's going to be moments when the car needs the driver to take control and the driver is, doesn't know when that's going to happen. Doesn't know the reaction time is not going to be very, um, smooth and it's going to be very, I think maybe a panicky in a way, um, to that driver. Especially if you're being distracted by reams of infotainment. Yeah. Or whatever sponsored content that Microsoft is selling you in the car. Exactly. Uh, check out the new halo or whatever. Um, so (laughs) What if I'm wearing my VR helmet? Well, when I get when I have to drive, like maybe they'll maybe they'll sh- they'll show you a video, a friendly video of uh, of what's going on outside the car. Look at the nice sunshine out there. But Toyota says that the way that they're trying to um, improve that reaction time between the the when the driver needs to take control is by engaging the driver with Yui. So it will ask him about his day. It'll play games with him, maybe trivia. It'll tell him about what's going on outside in the world. Or or it'll basically it'll it'll try to be your your friend in the car. That sounds a little annoying at first. More than a little annoying. <laughs> but I can see I can see the science behind it. I understand that when you are engaged with something, you're less likely to be caught off guard and panicking. You're gonna be more aware of what's going on. Look, uh, I think if I think if Toyota can make us engage with an AI, it really needs to branch out into other businesses and just kind of avoid abandon automotive because that's an amazing accomplishment. And they should, you know, they should be building robots, androids, and I don't know something that where where engagement with humans is is more valued. It's, 
It just seems like they're solving a huge problem to deal with a much smaller problem. <laughs> it is turning into her, the movie Her, but in a Toyota, which is a, which is an interesting place to start with our uh, our human rela- our human AI relationship. It, it would be like inventing a telepathy machine so you could talk to your dog. <laughs> you know, like come on, guys, think bigger. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, maybe maybe they are working on it. Maybe they're just starting with a small problem and they're gonna scale it up afterwards. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe they've already got all this technology in one place and they want to sell it to us in in an easy to digest package. <laughs> um, you know, uh, circling back to that BMW, you mentioned that the BMW concept didn't have any wheels. It was that's a sculpture. Right. It, was, it was a sculpture made of wood and plastic, and it had a bookshelf in it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it did with a whole bunch of books. But the most, to me, the most egregious um, aspect of this concept, and I really, really did not like this. And um, I know that a lot of my colleagues feel the opposite way, and they were impressed by this technology. But BMW's holographic display for your vehicle. Yeah. Sammy, what, what do you think? Help me, help me, Obi Wan. You're our only, ch- you're our only chance. So instead of, so I, I know that what's, what's the easiest way to interact with a car? It's a button and a knob, right? Mm-hmm. You like, you push a button, you twirl, twirl a knob, and you don't have to take your eyes off the road. You, you can feel what's happening. The volume goes up and down. Radio station changes. It's been like that for decades. Mm-hmm. Then we got touch screens, which are a little harder to use because you have to look at what you're doing. Your finger covers whatever your whatever selection you're making. And if there's a slider on the touchscreen, well, that can be a bit of a hassle. So they, they started combining touchscreens and knobs so that you could, you know, like iDrive or Audi's MMI system to kind of give you the best of both worlds. But now BMW has created this holographic system which projects the controls um, from a surface, like it's, it's, it's like a display screen, but they're three dimensional and they come up out of the surface and it tracks the motion of your hand and provides you with feedback using, uh, sonic sensors. Um, yeah, this Which is means, horrible. First of all, that's kind of cruel. That there's, there's a couple of things here. The projection that they showed was, uh, was really broad, was really big. It took up the whole windshield so that you, you're not having to look, uh, too far away. It was like a massive head up display. But they also have them in different parts of the car. There was mm-hmm. more than one. There was one that was on the dash itself mm-hmm. as well that was lower that you would have to look at. Right. And then – now, I hate – I actually really don't like 3D gestures. They make no sense. I don't like to be waving my hands around in the car. And the longer we have our hands off the wheel, uh, technically, is uh, less safe. Um, and twirling them around to to increase the volume seems like a ridiculous idea when we have volume controls on our steering wheels already. Now, so this is this is the amplification of those concepts. Now, what this does with those sonic that last thing you said, the sonic sensors, is it um, it actually provides some sort of haptic feedback, so you know that you're you can feel that you're hitting or touching something in the air, which is crazy. It's so bizarre, <laughs> and uh, as you said, is completely um, is a problem that nobody. I don't know. We we really didn't need. Uh, yeah, it's it's, a, a, it's a solution to a solution that a problem to a problem that doesn't exist. But more important than that, I think it's actually dangerous. I think this is distracting to the point where you're really, really pulling someone away from the actual task of driving. And for what? For for a wow factor? I don't see how this improves. I don't see how this makes um, the experience of the driver better. And 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 that's something I struggled with with a lot of the CES technologies I saw. Or I'm sorry, the, the technologies I saw unveiled at CES. It, it's just. How how does this help? How oh. is this anything? Where's the substance behind the flash? I'm going to I'm going to talk about t- 
one more card that maybe had something going for us that uh, where it uses technology um, to to better our lives. And then we're going to talk about one that I think or one automaker that was clearly on the right path when it comes to uh, enriching our lives. Um, so first, we're going to talk about Honda and then we're gonna, I think we're going to segue into Hyundai. What do you think of that idea? All right, let's do it. I've never, ever given you a game plan as to what we were going to talk about on our podcast. So why start now halfway through our what <laughs> 10th podcast? <laughs> um, so Honda showed off a really weird tiny con- concept called the new V concept. It's about the size of a K car, which is a city focused vehicle. It's tiny. It has seats for two people um, and is supposed to be autonomous and electric as well. Um, now, here's what they want to do with this vehicle and why you're going to like it. It will be part of a ride sharing program so that when you're not using your car, somebody else will be. And you'll be getting some extra money in the process. What do you think of that just, idea? Just from a germs perspective, no thank you. <laughs> You're not into that? No, I don't even like sitting down on the subway. I mean, I want some guy <laughs> touching my steering wheel with, or maybe even eating in my car. I mean, that's disgusting. Okay, maybe you can put uh, a note on there or, you know, project a, a te- send them a text. Uh, yeah. If you're, well, if you're borrowing this car, please do. Maybe I'll, maybe please I'll. Please use the, the hand sanitizer supplied in the, in the glove box. Maybe I'll shine a black light on my steering wheel and then have to burn the car to the ground. Okay, so you don't like people driving your car, so you won't make any money that way. What about when you? <laughs> what is this game show? I love this. It's like, but what? Wait, there's more. <laughs> there is more. You park the car, and of course, the city you're parking in is very, it's very, uh, it's very rich, and they've made um, the parking, the side street parking lots or parking spaces. Um, they have, they're wireless charging systems, so. You park your car, and when your car reaches full, it starts providing electricity to the grid. And now you're making some money um, that way. What do you think of that? Okay. Well, I can 100% shoot that down. Do you know why? (laughs) Yeah, I can tell you why. Go for it. Because I live in Quebec. And in Quebec, we have something called Hydro-Quebec, which is a massive electric utility, which has a monopoly on electric production. Hey, I live in Ontario, and we have a very similar situation here, too. Okay, well, uh, I can tell you that here uh, we have so much electricity that we we sell it all the time to the United States, to other provinces, because we have a – it's a huge network of dams and, and hydro, hydro installations. As a result, we pay the lowest electrical rates in North America. They're so low that if I was to install solar on my house, solar panels, in most places in the United States, if you generate more electricity than you use with your solar installation, you can sell it back to the utility. Exactly, as, exactly as Honda is suggesting here. Yes. In Quebec, you can't do that. <laughs> what happened? Honda would, uh, sorry, Hydro will not buy any electricity from any individual companies. In fact, um, so this is kind of a weird segue. My, uh, my family owned a, uh, a sawmill for a very, very long time. In, in it's actually older than Canada, and my great grandfather built a dam on a river that's actually across the street from my parents' house, and it's still there. And after the sawmill was sold, a, a utilities company purchased that so they could generate electricity with it. Uh, they were never able to be profitable because hydro would not work with them because they simply did not need additional capacity. They were already completely soaked with electricity so you know for me this honda car i mean it's useless okay for you we're still we're still hoping that there's the eight the eight million people who live in quebec okay well there's a couple of other people in the world that might be interested in in making some money and aren't so concerned about uh germs as as much as you are but you know uh, what would be be amazing is i would gladly trade these self-charging power zones for pothole free roads how about how about we start with roads that don't have potholes (laughs) 
you got to talk to your you got to talk to your local municipality about that. We don't even have that technology. <laughs> well, I mean, if we can get the wireless, if we can get the vehicle to infrastructure uh, technology in there, uh, communication technology in there, I'm sure the wireless charging systems in the road are are the next step. You know. Yeah, you know, if roads could scream, this would, the Vita X would be a very very loud technology. Yeah. Um, but then, you know what, let's talk about something that's uh, a little bit more real, a little bit more serious, and that's what uh, Hyundai was showing. Now, Hyundai did show some weird, like, nonsense stuff, like the ability to dock your car into your home so that your your car is technically your office space. Yeah, I think they had a woman sleeping in it, too. It was a little weird. It was the very... demonstration, it wasn't clear. <laughs> it was really weird. And uh, anyways, they actually showed some really cool robotics technology. And Hyundai isn't the first automaker to show off robotics tech. Um, Toyota and Honda have uh, have some ro- robots that they're working on in artificial intelligence. But um, Hyundai is putting a more human element on it in making these ro- what they call wearable robotics. Essentially, they're exoskeletons that will provide extra functionality to people who are um, maybe disabled or older or have limited uh, mobility. So I thought I found that to be really cool, giving the paraplegics, specifically what they mentioned was paraplegics, the ability to walk again, to go upstairs, um, to sit and stand um, like they weren't paraplegic. No, it's super cool. I know it doesn't have anything to do with cars, of course, but it, w- it was my favorite part of, of CES. Um, I thought it was a very useful technology, and uh, I I fully applaud anyone who's, you know, we the, the automobile industry keeps throwing around words like mobility, saying that they're going to become mobility providers, and that uh, that's that's their new focus. But that that's a lot of that's just lip service. This is actual mobility technology. This is giving someone their life back and allowing them to integrate into a society that is extremely stacked against anyone who's disabled. So kudos to Hyundai for bringing that to CES. Now, there are three technologies. There's this one that's essentially a, a walking robot. There's one that um, will will you wear around your waist, I suppose, and provides extra, extra torque to your limbs so that uh, it's easier to walk uh, or turn. Uh, so you're not par- if you're not paraplegic, but you are still having some difficulty getting around. And then there was one more uh, robot that um, is kind of strapped to your, your back and helps you lift heavy objects. Um, and would help sort of deal. Give you the strength of an orangutan. <laughs> Is that what they said? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that's what I want, though. Okay, maybe you can, can, you tear can your dial face it up. right off. You can dial yeah. it up to that. Um, which is interesting stuff, um, and I think um, so we we heard a comment like, uh, finally, you know, we can get peop- more people working. Um, <laughs> which is uh, like we said, when you're not when you just like what we said with the autonomous vehicle. If you're not at work, you should be working. Apparently. Especially, especially if you're disabled. Apparently, like it's there's an untapped labor pool of people who have never been able to do hard labor who are now going to be able to do hard. Maybe we can get an infant suit, <laughs> and then we can start monetizing babies. No, I, I I'm not going to be cynical about it. I I like it. I I like the technology a lot. I think it's cool, and I think it's useful. But you know, there's one thing. There's one great big white elephant that you haven't mentioned at CES, uh, Sammy, and I'm really surprised that you haven't. Okay. Oh yes, of course. Um, Faraday Future, I suppose. Yes. yes How did I forget yes, about that? Yes. Oh right, because <laughs> we just don't believe that it's going to be a real thing, do we? It's not a real thing. It's not real. The car that they showed. Oh my goodness. I don't know who's. I don't know what market that is. Um, I don't think they have enough money to bring it to market. I feel bad for people who are involved with the company. I I did not watch the live stream of the uh, unveil. But uh, Sammy did. I definitely did. And you know what? I'm 
I'm less skeptical as you, but I do think they have a, a very tough road ahead uh, if they want to put, especially what we just saw on the roads. Um, so yeah, they, it's not an attractive car, and it's not like it's ugly, but it's just it's just like who would pay a huge amount of money for that car? Is it even a car? Is it a crossover? Who are the who are these people? Like, right. Who is your customer? So let's talk exactly about what this thing is. First of all, it's a very awkward looking large sedan um, with a with a fastback shape. Imagine a Audi A7 and increase the size by maybe one point eight percent. I mean times. Imagine a. Imagine a movie about the future from the 90s, and that's kind of what this car looks like. Uh, I don't have any movie references to even bring up. Like what? <laughs> like, um, I don't know. Judge, Judge, Dr- Judge Dredd. <laughs> oh, or, you're, uh, you're going into to, into terror sci-fi. Okay. I'm just I'm just saying, like you know, that kind of blocky, chunky RoboCop <clears> style. <throat> we'll just put some metal sheeting on it, kind of thing. Except it's not metal; it's painted silver. I. It was just a. It's not a very inspiring. You know what's funny is I was sitting with the the portal designers when you sent me a photo of the car, and uh, he looked at it. He's the guy who designed the portal, and he's like, he had this moment of silence, <laughs> and then he was really he the thing he kept stressing was how normal the car looked in terms of like how there was no real design to it. It was just like a someone had taken a standard template for a sedan. And there was no, there were no character lines. There was nothing about the car that really stood out. It was just like very, very plain. Um, I think that's a good encapsulation. I can go into some more detail about some of the design elements, but I'm just going to go and talk about the more important elements of this car because I think we should be wrapping up the podcast real soon. Um, let's talk about the this this thing. It has a 130 kilowatt hour battery, which is uh, the biggest uh, production battery on a, on a or biggest battery found on a production vehicle. Don't call it a production vehicle. Um, yes, not yet. Um, and that will label, enable this car to do 378 miles on a 78 miles on a single charge, which is again the longest range of a of a, any electric car as of yet. Um, additionally, when you, I mean, that's 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 normal though, right? When you when you stick a ginormous battery on a car, and this is a, th- a battery that's 30% larger than the Tesla Model X and S, uh, it's going to get more range, right? That's that's yes. the point. And the other easy yes. thing that you know with electric vehicles is they have a ton of torque that's available instantaneously, and that means that they're very quick cars. Now, um, Faraday Future says that they have 1,050 horsepower uh, at tap uh, on tap on tap, and that enabled this car to do zero to sixty in 2.39 seconds, which is okay. in, which is unbelievable, which is an, an impressive speed. And it's a it's an autonomous car too, right? It has autonomous capability. Uh, yes, and they even demonstrated a bit of the autonomous capability. Uh, not all of it, and not all of it was completely uh, functional. There was a little bit of a hiccup in, during the demonstration. Um, what this car could do was park itself, uh, find a parking spot, and park itself, which I can see being a really useful feature, not just for Faraday Future, but for any uh, automaker so, moving forward. So why does an autonomous car need a thousand horsepower? Well, apparently they envision other people than the AI to drive it, Ben, you know? <laughs> All right. I'm just saying, if the future is autonomous, then it really doesn't matter how much horsepower the car has unless it's a marketing thing. Yeah, I think that's 100%. You need to have that that bullet point that says we're the fastest X, Y, and Z, or we're the, we go the longest. And, you know, when you're new in the in the industry, you need those to make people stand up and take notice. 
I guess so, or to perhaps attract investors to bail you out from your failing corporate position. Uh huh. Yeah, that's also. Uh, I mean, if that was the situation that they're in, a, a failing corporate situation. Uh, I don't have all the details on it, and some people have been reporting, and there are rumors that there's some um, some difficulties with uh, you know, the the background of Faraday Future, but. I feel like this is the most cynical podcast we've done. <laughs> is it? I'm having fun. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I'm not. I don't know. It's just that, you know, I really didn't enjoy my time at CES this year. I felt like I was being deluged by a whole bunch of people uh, who were telling me that, you know, driving sucks and you don't want to drive and we're going to drive for you. And I don't have any interest in that. I, I, I want to drive. You know, I enjoy driving. And um, I don't think car customers are asking for any of this technology right now mm -hmm. i don't think anyone buys a car because of any of this technology or goes into a dealership and says i need all of this stuff i saw at ces i don't think it sells cars i think pricing and value sell cars uh efficiency um uh, reliability over time affordability and, uh, did you say affordability yeah when we bring cars yeah. down to a, a very uh attractive price range um as we've seen newer cars doing like the spark and the and the mirage and the micra in canada and granted they're not great cars but if you want to improve um mobility or bring mobility to more people you need to do it at a, at a very attractive price point and having a 130 kilowatt hour battery in a in a car that can do 0 to 60 in 2.39 seconds um that's gonna be very expensive and uh, very expensive as great as that's that's gonna that's gonna look great on commercials but uh, i don't know how anyone's gonna really care about that after no it's 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 just i i felt like i was in out of my element i felt like i was surrounded by people who were railing against things that i i find important and that really got me down oh. um and I, I found it hard to deal with. Okay, well, you know what? I've got good news for you, Ben, because uh, we'll talk about the Detroit Auto Show and the next podcast. And there were some real cars to talk about over there. What do you think of that idea? There were. The, I, I, I think that's a good idea. I think that, that that'll cheer me up a little bit. Okay, now before I go, um, before I, I say goodbye, was there anything really interesting that you saw at CES that you have to, uh, you have to bring up? Um, and were there anything, was there anything that you were like, why are they doing this? Cause here's one thing that I thought was funny after seeing your, after hearing your take on the BMW hologram, uh, touch feature, uh, I saw somebody, uh, I think it was continental. Um, they were showing off a eyes, sorry, your infotainment system is controlled by head gestures and eye control and it wasn't quite working and I felt really sad about that <laughs> because <laughs> I was like, you know what, if this is the place to show off this new technology, it should probably be working. Uh, and it also is another feature that doesn't need to, that doesn't need to be in a car. Um, no, definitely. It's, 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 it's like any, anyway, I, I, I've said what I had to say and I feel like I'm just like keep hammering the same nail over and over. And if that makes me a curmudgeon, then maybe it makes me a curmudgeon, but I don't think it does. I think, I think that someone has to, at some point, you know, take the position of the consumer and be like, Hey, uh, no one's asking for this. You're spending a lot of money on it. And what's up with that? Well, I can't wait till based on what I thought CES, everything is all your technology is going to be wearable. It's all going to include a step counter uh, and a calorie counter. And if we can include those step counters or calorie counter counting wristwatches to also open my car, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be adverse to that as long as it's affordable <laughs> and I don't need to charge it every night. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, all right. So tune in uh, next time when we'll talk about the Detroit Auto Show, which was back to back with CES and which is why I'm sick right now, <laughs> which is why I have a yeah, which I'm. I'm sleeping at irregular hours right now because of it. 
Um, and uh, if you want to ask us questions about Detroit before we record, um, you'll have to do that quickly. But you can get us at on t- the Twitter. You can reach Sammy at, at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Mm-hmm. Or you can reach me at, at Hunting Benjamin. Or if you want to use the email, which is something I use all the time, you can go Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And Sammy, where can they find the podcast? At uh, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, which will redirect you to our SoundCloud um, uh, page. And we also can be found on iTunes and Google Play Music, the podcast section of the Google Play Music uh, store. That is correct. Just look up Unnamed Automotive Podcast and you will you, – all your all your desires will be made real. Well, all your desires that have to do with hearing about a podcast with uh, you and me in it. Exactly. Okay. So thank you for listening, and we will catch up with you next time with lots of information from the Detroit Auto Show. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.